Hey guys, Troy here from Apologetics Canada. I know you want to get to the podcast, so I will keep it brief. I just wanted to let you know about an opportunity we have coming up this Tuesday, November 30th. It's called Giving Tuesday. Basically, it's an opportunity for you to give to the work of Apologetics Canada as we kick off this year's giving campaign. We're simply asking that you would prayerfully consider sowing into Apologetics Canada and that we might continue to do the work of giving good reasons to trust in Jesus. If you feel moved to give, feel free to head over to our website at ApologeticsCanada.com and look for the giving tab at the top of the page. I won't take any more of your time. Thank you so much to everyone who has been supporting us this past year and for those who are already considering doing so. We cannot wait for 2022 to come because we got a lot more projects and ideas that we want to share with you. All right, I'm out of here. Now for the podcast. Hi, and welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy. I'm here today with Andy and Wes. How are you guys doing? Another day in paradise. Living the dream, Troy. Living the dream. <laughs> oh, wow. Those are very... Uh, <laughs> what, what is the dream? What is well, paradise the sun is shining <laughs> in Ontario, so... I'm alive. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, things are good. Things are good. Those of you that are... From various parts of Canada, you've probably heard that out here in Abbotsford, we've been flooded, but uh, Troy and I are afloat. Had some people text me wondering whether or not I needed some uh, some arm floaties. <laughs> I don't need those. <laughs> Troy might, though. Uh, you know, I, I'm good where I am. I, I, I just heard this morning, though, potentially we're going to be getting more rain. Yikes. That is supposed to do more damage. So that sucks more. That's great. I know, and and I wasn't too worried about that, but we just had like a little sprinkle the other day, and we had a landslide, another one. So the the ground's just saturated. And then today, I woke up to see the news that they found more highways that have been destroyed. So that's fun. Oh, good, good. <laughs> I, I hate to say it, but if you guys move out to Ontario, all of these issues disappear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, that's the nice thing about I mean, living someplace flat. If it gets washed away, the road just moved to the left or right. It's fine. Right, exactly. Listen, we're not without our own problems, but currently flooding is, is not in the I docket. mean, loyalty isn't an issue out in Toronto because, I mean, Maple Leaf fans are some of the most loyal people I've ever met in my life. <laughs> I'll refrain from saying anything negative about Toronto Maple Leafs fans while still being a resident of Toronto. But <laughs> so, what, Wes, out there in uh, in Toronto, what are you guys hearing about these whole floods out here in British Columbia? Is it on the is it making the news? I may be a bad person for this. I don't watch or listen to the news. I do. I have noticed a, a couple of things on like the news app on my phone. I've been. Surprised by how little I've actually heard. Um, mm. I thought I would hear a lot more. I know a lot of people, both who live in BC and who used to live in BC, who have been talking a lot about it, but there really hasn't been as much as I thought there would be. Mm. Um, since you know, for the for the listeners, uh, I flew back to Ontario from BC. Uh, Andy drove me to the airport when everything was starting to go crazy. So I feel like I feel like I dipped my toe in, no pun intended, yeah, and uh, got a feel for what started to happen. And then I came here, and nobody really knew anything about it. So, well, that, yeah, that's an interesting, interesting note for listeners. Is we had our staff and board retreat during the rains, 
and took our staff to the airport. Well, the we, our retreat ended on Sunday, and the slides and all the horrible destruction happened on the Monday. And it was a wild ride getting you to the airport on Monday. Mm. But we were able to get you guys off. Uh, I think it was still raining at that point. So when you're flying out, you probably couldn't see that the flooding had begun. Uh, but it was interesting, though, because on our, our drive back from the airport, uh, there was a semi truck in front of us and a tree fell on the highway. A tree fell right on that semi truck right in front of us. Wow. Uh, so it was, it was interesting, you know, you're dodging puddles, you're, do- you're dodging trees, uh, rocks and the like. So that's fine. That's fine. You guys don't care about us. Whatever. We'll move on. Yeah. Not, not... Hey, hey, I didn't say any of those things. <laughs> well, you represent all of Ontario. Don't, don't, so. put, don't put words in. <laughs> oh no, I'm in trouble. But anyways, this, this, uh, I, I'm not going to say this segues very well into what we're talking about. I mean, there's certain aspects of it, but today we we wanted to talk about Advent, the history of Advent. And, you know, maybe you're one of those people that have celebrated it year after year, but have really got no clue where it came from. You, you, you missed the segue, Troy. You could have said, you know, we're expecting things to get better. What else, where else would we expect something to happen leading up to an event that's that's positive. Oh, Advent. Okay, Wes, if you want to run it, you can run it. <laughs> <laughs> Troy's gone. Wes is now hosting the podcast. <laughs> Troy just got up and left his desk. Um. No, but for the podcast today, we want to talk about what is Advent, how long have Christians been celebrating it, and yeah, we want to, to talk about this, because I, I think this is, Advent's interesting, that especially when you think about the difference between Catholics and Protestants and and what we celebrate and what we don't th- there's interesting crossover and it's I also find it interesting that advent has really gained in popularity with Protestants so let's just talk about what's the history of it now this is this might be of interest to you but Wes is a that's that's been a, a large part of his academic work has been in the history of Christianity, and so we figured who best to have on the podcast to talk about the history of Advent than Wes Huff. Let's get into this. Wes, where, how long have we been celebrating Advent for? We've been celebrating Advent for a long, long time. So the, the earliest dating of Advent is kind of a mystery. Uh, there are periods throughout early church history where we kind of see some spots where there's an expectation of a celebration of the Incarnation. But the start of Easter in Christian history, that was far more solidified. So the early church was a lot clearer on the celebrations of Easter throughout um, church history than they were on the birth of Christ. Uh, And Christmas came to be associated with the birth of Christ as a result of it falling during December, during the darkest months and the, the darkest day of the year in the Northern Hemisphere. And there was an idea of, you know, you have Easter, which culminates in uh, in and around the springtime. There's new life. Uh, that kind of makes sense. Um, it was coordinated. There were different dates of Easter. There was a, a lot of theological arguments about that. But it kind of made sense for to celebrate the resurrection in spring. And when would you celebrate, you know, the light of the world coming into the world, you know, the incarnation. Well, maybe a good time to celebrate that is during the darkest days of the year uh, when, you know, um, it's cold, uh, the days are shorter, 
And so uh, celebrating the light of the world uh, made a lot of sense in so much darkness. So within a, a few centuries of church history, both Easter and Christmas took on special meaning due to their use in commemorating the life of Jesus in particular times of the, the calendar. So let's just pause right there for a moment, because I think this is an important historical point. Christians didn't celebrate Christmas on December 25th because they thought that was the actual day of Jesus' birth. Th that's an important point to understand, because a lot of people are like, a lot of Christians will actually think that. Sunday school teachers everywhere are losing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Because then they'll start looking into it and they're like, hey, this doesn't line up. Like, this this wasn't when Jesus was born. But, Wes, what you're saying is they actually they actually picked this because the winter solstice was the darkest day. And so, hey, why not celebrate Jesus, the light of the world, coming mm. into the world, which I think is awesome. Like, like what, a, what a great way to celebrate, um, you know, the, in, in winter, you know, and when especially when you're living in a day without light bulbs, right? Like it was dark, yeah. And this was this was a way that you could that you could celebrate that. Now, now, Wes, th this word Advent, it, we know is it's a Latin word, and it has two meanings, especially when you see it in its not only Latin form but its Greek w form. Which you are a Greek nerd, so I'm not even going to get into this. I'm just going to throw it right back <laughs> over to you. And I got to say this to you, listeners: just if you're wondering just how nerdy. Wes is. We we were doing a devotional at our staff retreat, and I said, hey, Wes, uh, why don't you read this passage out of Colossians? So he's reading it, and at the end, I'm like, hey, man, what, what translation was that? And he's like, oh, I was just sight translating it from the Greek. Uh, I'm like, pardon <laughs> me. <well." laughs> you mean ESV? <laughs> <laughs> so it was the new Wes Huff translation right. of, uh, of Colossians. But uh, at any rate, back to you with regards to Advent. Yeah, far from an infallible uh, translation, that's for sure. <laughs> um, you're better off probably to go with uh, the ESV Troy than the New West Huff uh, translation. Yeah, but, but, but good point. You know, um, the Latin word adventus was the translation of the Greek word uh, perusia. I roll the R for you there, Andy, fancy. just to make it a little fancy. special. I like that. Um, and, and it's a word uh, used for both the coming of Christ in human flesh and his second coming. So it, it was a word uh, that we see in the New Testament used to describe not only the first coming of Christ, but also, and in particular, the second coming of mm. Christ. Uh, and, and actually, I think there's a, an interesting parallel here with, uh, if the, the listeners know Handel's Messiah, that, that famous sort of, um, it's not an opera. Opera was actually banned during the time of Handel, and this is one of the reasons he made it like it was. Um but it's like a, like an, uh, I don't know what you would call it, audio adventure. Um, but it's played around yeah. Christmas, mm. but there's only actually one passage from the Gospels in it. Everything else is from the Old Testament and the proclamations of the Messiah to come. And then the rest is from Revelation with the second coming. And Handel made it about the second coming. But it sort of fell into this same sort of understanding of Advent, you know, the expectation so for the first two weeks of Advent, the church would reflect on the second coming, and then disciples would get your hearts in a mode of, of confession and spend time hoping for the quick coming of the Lord. And the last two weeks, traditionally, uh, of Advent would then transition to focus on the, the first parousia, the first 
Advent, the first expectation of Christ coming in the manger. So this this double meaning, which you mentioned, Andy, in Advent history signals an important reality in the liturgical calendar. Mm. Advent and Christmas are never held as a, a full reenactment of the life of Christ, but point to our place between the resurrection and the second coming. They kind of remind us of this. And Advent and Christmas are not merely about the coming of Jesus, but about everything since the birth of Jesus. It's about, you know, the renewal and the rebirth of the the promised one who was to come and make all things new, like like they were in the garden. Looking at it from that, from the historical perspective of, it's like, we we want to celebrate this now because it'll be a great time to encourage people. I naturally think about the the situations where, you know, you have the non-believer who has a really hard time with, you know, Christianity because they say, oh, well, it's a man-made structure. And when, so when you look at situations like this where, you know, we can't actually determine whether or not that that was the time of Jesus's birth, it, it, it definitely leads you to questioning like, okay, how do we actually respond to this when I actually, you know, this really was a man-made holiday, we throw things out to go and say, oh, well, it's it's paganism and those sorts of things. But yet we we continue to do it year after year. Yeah, it's it's a good point. I think I think one of the things we can say is that God doesn't seem to have a problem with using broken humanity to incorporate and signal his glory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so even something like I mean, we associate circumcision with um, you didn't see that curveball coming. We associate <laughs> circumcision uh, w- with you know ancient Judaism and and the the covenants that were established with people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, but historically, circumcision was a practice that was done throughout the ancient Near East. But God takes this practice, which I mean, when He tells Abraham, you know, circumcise your sons, Abraham doesn't go, "Hey, what's that?" Mm. Uh, Abraham would have at least understood that this was something that people did as a covenantal promise, as, as something that symbolized something important. And so God uses that thing and uh, he sets it apart, right? He sanctifies it. That's what the word sanctification means. It means to take something that's that's not special and then actually make it special. I mean, this is what we do as believers, right? The sanctification process is taking us as broken, fallen individuals and through our lives, slowly being formed into the image of Christ. Mm. And so I think just as we are broken and we are inadequate, God uses that and he carries that on in order to help us grow and mature. And so when we're thinking of something like Christmas, I think it's, we could debate all day long and I could really bore the audience with going into all the (laughs) theories in the early church of when they actually tried to peg down the, the actual date of Jesus's birth which range everywhere from November to April. So uh, there's a wide range. But I think it's far less the, you know, exact date of getting that right and far more, okay, well, what does, what's the importance of Jesus Mm. coming into the world? Well, there's a big importance of the incarnation and everything that encompasses. And so it's, it's far less important that we get the exact date and time and more important of like, okay, well, what does that mean? What does it mean for us as believers? How do we communicate this amazing thing happening of, of the God stepping out of eternity into humanity as the second person of the Trinity and doing something within time and space? Well, said. well and, and Wes and Troy, don't you think, too, though, that it's actually more about 
What what does it mean? I don't want to diminish that because of course that that's key. But this is where I think Advent's so important, and where a lot of Protestants, and and actually I just say, I just say people in general, but particularly in Christianity, where we actually just take a moment to stop in our busy schedules and our busy lives. And that Christmas isn't just this one day that, you know, where you're giving gifts or, or whatever, and maybe, you know, you'll, you'll think about this is Jesus' birthday at some level and, and what that means, but that you're taking time out of your busy schedule. And this was something that the Jews did. This is something that the early Christians did. And, I, and, what, and, and I'm bringing this up because I'm saying that I think in many ways we've lost sight of this due to what I would argue be the commercialization mm. of Christian holidays, where whether it be Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny or whatever, uh, I think I don't think I need to like press that point. I think we all get that the commercialization part, but that you know that's what I think. One of the things I think is important about Advent is that you're setting aside time to say we we need we're going to prepare, we're going to think about this important moment and its impact, both both who Jesus is in that he came as a baby, but also that Jesus is coming again mm-hmm. and and actually spending time to think about that what i'm basically trying to get at is is we are terrible at holidays and about remembering and having some level of ceremony if you will whether that be christmas or easter do you, do you know what i'm saying totally i think we like we it's funny nowadays how people will be like, oh, we have such such short attention spans. I'm like, we we always have. Let's let's be honest. It just looked differently. But I think about it. If we if someone didn't tell me that Thanksgiving was coming up, I would probably blow right past Thanksgiving. Right? I think exactly like you're saying, Andy, if we didn't have specific time like with an advent calendar, like with Christmas, like with Easter, where we actually come together, be it feeling ceremonial, whether people want to call it paganism, whatever they want, we wouldn't take time to recognize Passover. Like, how often do you hear a sermon, you know, at your churches about the birth of Jesus outside of Christmas? But don't you think, though, that maybe one of the reasons you don't hear a lot of sermons on the birth of Jesus is because, you know, pastors will just leave that until kind of the Christmas Christmas season? Well, and maybe even pausing to to think about the first Christmas, because there was a like a, a an expectation leading up to you know Mary and her little family. Um, they weren't dealing with you know floods and a global pandemic and um, you know turmoil in the Middle East and, and all the ugliness of whatever climate change, race relations, borders, uh, but. They did have Emperor Augustus, who was you know, flexing his despotic muscles in a worldwide census that was designed to extract more taxes and tighten his grip on the vassal states. Yeah. And they had the brutality of Herod the Great, a guy who killed his own children out of paranoia and thought nothing of doing the same to the infants of Bethlehem, right? And then there was an unplanned and rather scandalous pregnancy that Mary was dealing with. Coupled with, and we may not even realize this, a 120-kilometer journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which was most likely done on foot. And uh, with all due respect to the Christmas cards, she probably was not riding a donkey. (laughs) She probably was walking. And when the very soon-to-be-expecting couple arrive, right, there's no room but a manger. And the whole story is very strange, and it's mixed, and there's sadness, and there's joy, accompanying one another in the narrative of, you know, high emotions, anxiety, and strife. And I think um, the modern reader of that story can 
can familiarize at least the concepts if we're actually taking them seriously. Um, we, we don't often pick up on them, but the gospel writers seem to emphasize all this strangeness because they keep repeating the words in a manger. Mm. And the phrase in a manger appears three times in quick succession in Luke's, uh, the second chapter that Luke is describing this. And Luke's not simply being repetitive. He's actually making a point. So we're so used to the image of baby Jesus lying in a manger that we don't see this abject strangeness mm. of the setting. A manger is an animal feeding area. So I, I think you know, we, we're so used to seeing, you know, the little perfect cute nativity scene wood carving <laughs> of baby Jesus. Yeah, yeah. It's It would be the equivalent in of seeing like uh, a birth in a um, bathroom, public bathroom stall. Like it would, it would have been a little bit uncomfortable mm. um, in, in that day. And, and there's a lot of strangeness. And yet through all of this, uh, God breaks through and, and creates something beautiful. Sometimes we get these moments of glimpses into the Christmas story. As you're, as you're, you know, talking there, uh, Wes, I've had a few glimpses into, you know, the the Christmas story through just various experiences that I've had. For example, I uh, once with my wife, we were hiking in Nepal through in in the Himalayas, and we stayed in a home that was very much like what Mary and Joseph would have stayed in. It was a place that you could rent. A room. Now, I don't know for them if they were staying with family or if they were renting a room sort of thing. But in this home that was built of rocks, this was a very, you know, old home. They had what was understood as a manger. The bottom floor was where all the animals were. Mm. And you could actually look down in this home and you could see the bottom floor where the animals stayed. And they did that because then they could care for and protect them. And, and it was easier to heat and the, and the like. And the upper floors is where you actually would stay. And Wes, you know, from the Greek, that word is understood as like like upper room sort of idea. But it's just because their homes had these layers to them. Like they, they like they, this is the way they built things. So it was interesting, you know, for me just to be able to be in one of those. But then I'll throw another one out there. I was once in Thailand and I was asking this lady, we... We were there doing some mission work, but I was asking them about, you know, this trip that she had just been on. And and she was talking about how she had to go to this other town. And I said, well, why is that? And they said, well, because they just had a census. And I go, oh, really? You had a census? And I go, and you had to go to your home of birth? And she's like, yeah. And I go, that still happens? And she's like, yeah. She goes, you guys don't do that? I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I said, I said, why do you have to go to your home of birth? And she goes, she looked at me like, you're an idiot. Like, what do you mean? She goes, because that's where my, all my birth records are. For, for registering. And it was one of those moments where I'm like, oh, so that's why, you know, they would have needed to have traveled to their home of birth. Most likely, it would have been where all the records would have been kept. I just thought it was fascinating that sometimes, we, you know, we get these little glimpses that that still happens today yeah. in, in a number of countries. Back to what you were, you were talking about there, Wes, you know, you get, these, you get these glimpses into what's going on and you start to see, sometimes we get caught up in all the extra stuff that there was a census. And then we get caught up in, oh, was there actually a census? And, and you know, what's happening there? And just, I guess the skeptical part of us is thinking, or we get caught up in the Hollywood version of the manger sort of thing. And it's this hotel or it's this cave or the like. And it can be easy for us to, to miss the point. 
that Jesus is coming into the world, that there's this humble birth of this king, and that we're going to find out as this story unfolds that it's the king of kings. And as we celebrate in Advent, not only is this king come, but this king's going to come again. Not only a humble king, but a king that's going to judge the world. Mm -hmm. If anyone's interested in those actual details, Steve and I did a podcast. I just looked it up. It's called The Scandal of Christmas, where we go through some of those historical issues that are brought up about, like, was there an actual census? What do we do with some of the details that have been highlighted by skeptics that it doesn't appear to match up with history? So the listener is uh, interested in those. You can just type in Apologetics Canada the Scandal of Christmas podcast, and that'll pop up. But yeah, exactly. Well, I'm going to start calling you Adventure Andy, yeah, right. <laughs> just FYI, because uh, Seriously. Uh, I've been to a lot of places in the world. And, and if I was to go to my uh, the town I was born in, um, it's in Pakistan. So I don't know if that would be possible and or even helpful for Canadian census. Mine would but be Kingston. Either way, I, I would go in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, both both Troy and I, I don't think our, our towns of birth would necessarily help a Canadian census. Nonetheless, I think what you're highlighting there, Andy, is this this idea of there's really, um, you know, turning turning everything on its head in the biblical narrative mm. with, you know, these expectations. Because let's not forget, like, this is the king of kings. This is the creator of the universe. And... He's stepping down and accomplishing his purposes, not from on high, like the decree of Augustus or the brutality of Herod. Instead, God is achieving his purpose from below in the lowliness of what you just described. You know, this place that uh, is, is very simple. Uh, it's, it's very low. The lowliness of a manger with shepherds and livestock and and uh, foreign magi as the first witnesses and every detail about that Christmas story that were, were, you know, looking at it Advent and really the subsequent life of Jesus as well. It states that God reverses the mess and he does so by first getting his own hands dirty. God conquers by humbling himself. He heals by uh, being wounded, and he he's going to save us by sacrificing himself. And so the the manger, in that sense, is the most unlikely of thrones and works as a beacon of how God intends to turn everything upside down. A beautiful thing has just happened is there's literally been, in the last 28 minutes that we've been talking, there has been a deconstruction and reconstruction of Advent, if you've been paying attention, because this is one of those topics among the many that people who are going through a little bit of their, their biblical identity um, searching crisis, whatever you want to call it, that these are important things to do. It is really important to not just throw things away, to not just say, well, Advent's just something we've done at my church every single year. It's the same event, or we do, then we do the candlelight service, and it's the same thing every year. It's, it's meaningless. But it's important to do what is being done right now and actually look at the core of things, but also leave room to that, to that mystery, right? Like, cause there's a little bit of that, you know, the, the mystery of the gospel, man, it's almost a good thing that we don't know when Jesus was born exactly, that we don't know the, maybe the exact stable that he was born in, because what do we do? We commercialize it. It's already happening. And when we really are able to break things down, like I think for myself, what COVID has done for me the themes of Advent, of hope, peace, love, and joy, 
they mean something very, very different this year than they did two years ago. Yeah, that, I, I, I totally agree with you. Let me throw a question out to you guys with regards to, to Advent. Oftentimes, Christians, particularly historically, are criticized for taking non-Christian holidays and making them Christian. We can see this both in two ways, by the way. You can see this with a pagan holiday during the winter solstice that get, that gets rebranded into Christmas. But you can also see this even with Jewish holidays, such as Passover, that get rebranded into Easter. And as a Christian, we're, we wouldn't call that obviously rebranding. We would be calling that more along the lines of fulfilled. Mm. Uh, but you know, how, what what are your thoughts are? What are your thoughts with regards to that? Well, even j- just as a a note that I think is important is that the most up to date recent historical analysis of some of these other pagan festivals, whether we're talking about Sol Invictus or Saturnalia, which are often associated with uh, being co-opted by the Christians the date of Easter, those actually start after. Those start after Christians are already celebrating Christmas on in December. And it's it's historically, uh, I think the evidence is on the side of actually the the pagans, the, the Romans were actually co-opting what the Christians were doing more than the Christians were co-opting what the pagans were doing. Do you see that being the case, though, with Christmas, with the winter solstice? Yes. You would make that argument that— Yeah, because because the winter solstice had no uh, festival significance to the ancient Romans. So there were celebrations that were planned for the date, that, but they disagreed on what it was. And the, the Julian calendar does have 1225, but there's a guy in the ancient world, Pliny the Younger— and he says that it was 1226, and uh, there's another guy, um, Columelia, who says that it's 1223. So it's around the same time, but the when Christians are celebrating the date of what eventually becomes Christmas, we see much more of a centralization on that particular date with the Romans after Christians have already been celebrating it for, for a while. But even the, giving the, the benefit of the doubt, and, and let's say that, that Christians did co-opt it. I mean, uh, St. Augustine had this argument, particularly with philosophy, and he uses the analogy of the Israelites taking the, the gold from Egypt. And he says, you know, the, it's, it wasn't wrong for them to take the gold from Egypt. There's, there's value in the gold. It, what, it was Egyptian, but they did so, and then they were able to use it for things that were good, and then some of it may very well have been incorporated into uh, the regalia and the tabernacle. And so he argues that you know this some of this philosophy comes from Platonism and um, paganism and uh, the Greco-Roman understanding, but that all truth is God's truth, and so we can use things that are true and we can incorporate them for the glory of God. And I think uh, when it comes to even co-opting holidays, dates, times that would have already been in practice within, you know, ancient Rome or ancient Europe. That's a way that those things can be reclaimed by Christians without completely, you know, throwing everybody's understanding of when we celebrate things out the window. Why wouldn't you take something that is not good and repurpose it for for the glory of God. I mean, obviously there's there's limits to that and you don't want to go too, too far with that, right? We're not going to start making Christian Ouija boards. But um, <laughs> I, I think there's an argument to be made that 
if you have a festival that's on a date and these people convert to Christianity and then you say, well, let's just replace that with something that is God-honoring, that focuses on something like the Incarnation, then uh, that can be a, a very beautiful repurposing in the mind of the person who's converted to switch their mindset mm. from something that was not God-honoring to something that really is. Uh, as, a, as a pastor's kid, we often would make fun of is, you know, on Halloween— we would have a hallelujah party. <laughs> and it was like, we're not going to celebrate Halloween, but we're actually going to do the exact same things. Just is hallelujah. You know, it's like kids would come <laughs> and they get candy. They'd all dress up and they do the exact same thing. And I think if you're going to do that, it's still, it's got to still be different, but to just change the title, but literally engage in the same things. It's like, you might as well stick to the other one and let, you know, instead. Yeah. Don't put lipstick on yeah, the Yeah, literally. <laughs> I've heard of Harvest Party. I haven't heard of uh, Hallelujah Party. That's great. No, this is some. This is a theme though you see in the Old Testament, where it's you're right. Just switching the name is is not going to do it. But what is what are you worshiping? Yeah. Is is the question? I I want to, you know, back to to Advent, guys. Like, is Advent something that you have made a part of your family, part of your life? For example, pull a devotional. And I know that that can be a helpful way for a family that is, you know, being more proactive. Because, I mean, for example, most people, you know, leading up to Christmas, th- th- as deep as they go is, you know, one of those little advents where you open up doors each day and you get, you know, get like a little piece of candy or something like that, where it seems like this is a great opportunity, you know, to really engage with your family uh on Christmas, and 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 just as a, as an example, I came across one book uh, that I'm actually going to be using this year that I think is a great one. It's called Unwrapping the Names of Jesus, and it's an Advent devotional. Uh, by the way, for those of you Romanian listeners, we've got quite a few. You'll appreciate this. The uh, author uh, Ashrita is actually from Romania, and she it's published by Moody Press. But it's a great it's a great book. And it's a way, because it's interesting for Romanians, one of the ways that they celebrate leading up to Christmas and, and Christmas is with Christmas caroling and the like. And it, so this one, she talks about that in the book that this, you know, this is a, a way to go deeper sort of idea. You know, how, how do we help our kids, you know, really prepare for, for Christmas with both of those advents, the coming of the, of the child, but also the coming of this future king as well. But what about you guys? How have you celebrated we celebrated Advent at at church. Like I knew that um, we were gonna have, we were gonna light a different candle every single service, and there'd be a small uh, message before the actual sermon about, or or it'd be it'd, it'd be before worship that would be about Advent. And so that that was pretty much what it was for me growing up. Apart from that, it's it hasn't been something, it hasn't been something that we've directly paid attention to as in the sense of like, okay, now we're this week, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this with our children. But what we have done is leading up to Christmas have been very, very intentional with talking to our daughter about why we celebrate Christmas, the reasons for celebrating Christmas. Like it's got nothing to do with gifts. It's got nothing to do with all the commercial stuff and all the decorations. That stuff's all fun, but we've just taken a very intentional amount you know time to explain to her that this is we celebrate the birth of Jesus because the birth of Jesus was one of the keys to our redemption 
and our relationship with him. But as far as like directly practicing some form of Advent, that's not something that we've done. I grew up doing Advent. I grew up doing Advent candles within the church context, which is a uniquely Protestant thing. It started with with Martin Luther, but we always did that in our church. But there wasn't too much more to it than that. Whereas in our family in particular, uh, my my wife and I have really tried to incorporate more of the Advent celebrations into sort of our devotional life. And so we've gone through a number of different devotions with our family. We actually did. There's a great one called Hallelujah, a journey through Advent with Handel's Messiah, where you listen to a section of Handel's Messiah, and then it has the Bible verses that are based on that particular section. And then you um, you go through that. We really enjoyed that at our church right now. Well, uh, I'm going to be starting the, the sermon series off this upcoming Sunday, which is the first week of Advent, we're choosing a Christmas carol, and then we're taking a line from a Christmas carol and expounding on a theological concept within that that Christmas carol. Uh, so I'm going to be doing uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I'm going to be starting off that series uh, at our church. And um, the uh, the line that I'm, I'm taking is, mild he lays his glory by, born that men no more should die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. And I'm going to be talking about, you know, the atonement and the resurrection and uh, the theological concepts from that. And so that's what we're doing in our church. And uh, I I really like emphasizing Advent and the lead up to Christmas so that Christmas isn't just a day, uh, that it's, you know, more than that, that there's an expectation and then uh, um, for all the church historians are listening, they know that actually the traditional Christmas season starts after um, <laughs> December 25th and uh, goes into uh, leading up towards Easter. But I think there's something beautiful about the expectation, you know, waiting for the birth of Jesus mm-hmm. and, and what that means to us as believers. Wes, what's the earliest that we know Advent was practiced, and, and what were the circumstances around that? There are a, a few dates, particularly by the 4th century. The first written evidence of Advent is found in, in Europe, uh, in his, Hispania, which is now Spain. Uh, and it's probably the earliest official mention of Advent practice comes from, there was this group that was brought together. Uh, it's known as the Council of Sargosa which happened in 380. And the, the catalyst for that meeting in particular was that there was a group that had, was like a resurgence of ancient Gnosticism. So Gnosticism was this idea within, um, it was an ancient Eastern philosophy that kind of made its way into the Middle East. And by the second century, it had incorporated concepts of Christianity and particularly Jesus within it. And it was uh, essentially an idea that was what we call substant dualistic in that it believed that the physical was bad and the spiritual is good. We talked about it a little bit actually on our last podcast when I, I dropped the term meat prison uh, that, uh, the, you know, the ancient Gnostics believed that our, our spiritual nature was trapped in this meat prison. Um, and and so there was this resurgence of these particular ideas in the church. And so this group in Spain met together in order to push back against this heresy if I remember correctly, it's called Priscillianism. Yes. Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. And so the, the council 
potentially in in a way to emphasize that Jesus came in the flesh, I started a practice leading up to the celebration of Christmas that expected, you know, had this um, expectation of God entering into the physical to really hit home that the physical is not bad, that God himself entered into the physical and that the incarnation proves that this idea of substance dualism is false. Mm. And so that's really, uh, if indeed it was a reaction against um, what you mentioned there, uh, Andy, is Priscillianism, um, if that was the catalyst, it certainly corresponds with kind of the philosophy that was being run around and um, our oldest written evidence for when we see Advent starting to really take precedence in um, European Christianity. One way that I've heard historians put it is that the early church doubled down on Advent in response Mm. to this heresy. Yeah, yeah, I I think that's a good way of putting it. And then by the time, you know, the the fourth century ends and you get in the fifth and sixth centuries, Advent really becomes solidified in the church as a church practice that spreads across the ancient world a little bit more concretely. Hmm. This year, we are doing something more for Advent as well. Uh, Troy, you want to let people know what we're going to be kicking off? Yeah, we will be starting something that we are calling Advent Stories. And so we're going to have two different speakers a week sharing from a different topic from advent hope peace joy and love and it's going to be it's going to be on our instagram it's going to be on our facebook for the longer version or experience you make sure you're following us on facebook and then just for the shorter one that'll be on instagram yeah so we're looking forward to that i want to encourage you to to check that out as we prepare for his Mm -hmm. coming it's interesting, you know, this year as, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, I I think this year more than ever, I'm I'm celebrating not just the birth of Jesus, but that second mm-hmm. coming. You know, I, I think as we as just we, we look at the world around us and realize it's easy to get comfortable. This year perhaps has has reminded us though that uh, we have a greater hope in store. And that we're celebrating not just Jesus's birth, but Jesus's return. So we thank you guys so much for joining us on this week's podcast. As we lead up to Advent, like we said, make sure you guys are tuning into the Advent stories. You're going to hear some some testimony, just a little bit of, of people's Christmas background, but all based around these different themes that just they point us to Jesus. The AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada, so make sure you like and subscribe on all your favorite streaming platforms. Please interact with us on social media, especially during the Advent stories. If something really strikes a chord with you, we we would love to hear it. Testimony goes a long, long way. And I think given the last two years, community has to find its way even in unlikely sources. And that is online. If you have any more questions, feel free to hit us up at info at apologeticscanada.com. And as always, till next time, love God, love people. Bye for now.